son, who is Jesus. And we're going to look at, at that today at, in, as a, with a message that I've titled, Look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, we are able to do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, or another translation would say we do this by looking unto Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. On earth, Jesus lived as 100% man and 100% God. Look at what is written here in Philippians 2. Paul writes, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You know, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give great detail to the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. And today I want to take a little time and we're going to look at five distinct details about the Son of God, about the second person of the Trinity, about Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, the Messiah. We're going to look at five distinct de details about him. Number one is this. Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. He was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. Now, the, the Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied about this over uh, 700 years before Christ's birth, about this virgin birth, about this coming Messiah in Isaiah 7 and, and verse 14. You see it fulfilled, Matthew records it in chapter 1, and Luke records it in chapter 1 about this birth and about the, the way it, it came together. He lived a sinless life. Let's look at what Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 15. It says, this high priest, talking about Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. It says he was faced, he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. And then Paul writes also in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So for Jesus to come and save a sinful world, he had to be born sinless and also live a sinless life. So that like Paul writes here, he could take on sin himself, who knew no sin in order to make us 
righteous and become right standing with God, our Father, our Creator. So Jesus was born of a virgin, and he lived a sinless life. That's so imperative, that's so important for us to know, because throughout the entire Bible, from Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, it required a spotless lamb, a spotless, blameless sacrifice in order to be, in order to die, in order to become atonement for our sins. And so Jesus was that sacrifice, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. Number two, Jesus performed miracles. Jesus performed miracles. Now the Gospels record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when I say that, record over 30 Gospels, or excuse me, record over 30 miracles that, that Jesus did, that took place in the life and ministry of Jesus in a span of just over three and a half years. Over 30 that were recorded. The feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread and the two fish is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, at the end of the John's gospel, he ends it by saying, I'm paraphrasing, saying something like, now Jesus went on, he actually did many more things than were actually recorded down. And he says, perhaps there's not enough books that could contain all the things if they were written down that Jesus did. Now, he did over 30-something miracles, and John ends his his text, his, his letter, his testament to the life and ministry of Jesus by saying Jesus actually did far more than actually what we were able to record. So that if, there were, if all of these things that he did were actually written down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain all of what Jesus did. Now, the, over the 30 miracles that Jesus did, they're mind-blowing. They're astounding, they're astonishing, they're amazing. All of the different miracles that Jesus did. And think about it, if he did more than what they were able to even write down and record, how much more is he able to do today? In fact, Ephesians goes on and writes where Paul says, we, we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that we are able to ask or think according to the power that rests inside of us. That's Jesus. Now, these miracles that Jesus did, they show us a couple of things. One, they show us that Jesus cares about our condition. And he has the power to do something about it. These, all of these different miracles that Jesus did, they showcase and they, they, they demonstrate that his provision in our life. Anybody ever have anything provided for you that you can't really explain how it got provided for you? Come on, let, let's see those, see those hands. On, at home watching, just go ahead and throw your hand up. If you're by yourself, just let yourself be reminded today. Yeah, I, God is, it, that, that's a miracle. God providing something in our life that really cannot be explained. How did he do that? How did he take five loaves of bread and two fish, and feed 5,000 men, not counting women and the children. And some scholars say that would equal probably over 20,000 people out of five loaves of bread and two fish. And here we go trying to make our little grocery budget work every week for our family. 
right? Don't you know he can do it? Don't you know he can do it? When we feel like we have our last dime in the bank or in our pocket or last drop of whatever about to run out, don't you know that if we will turn our eyes and look to Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, don't you know he has a way to take five and make 5,000? He has a way of showing his provision. His, these miracles show us that he cares about our condition and he has the power to do something about it. It also demonstrates and shows us he can heal. Anybody ever been sick and been healed from the Lord? About it? No matter what it might have been, from a, from, from a bad thing to, to a, a low-key thing. I remember the first time... Jesus ever healed me. I was, I was about 16, just getting into church, and I was at a youth group prayer meeting, and, and the youth pastor asked, anybody need prayer for healing? And I'm thinking, well, I've got this thing, and it's kind of odd, but I have this bump, weird bump bubble underneath my tongue, like right up underneath, and it's been there for weeks, and it won't go away. I don't know what it is. And he said, well, let's just pray for it. That joker puts his hand in my mouth. Now, that was before coronavirus days. And he just prayed a prayer and asked the Lord to heal me, and it was gone by the next day. Now, to some might not be a big deal. To me, it was irritating. But Jesus healed me. He's healed me of other things since then. But Jesus healed. It shows, these miracles show the deliverance of Jesus. He can deliver people. He delivered people possessed of demons. He can deliver ourselves. He can, his power is so great and so precise, he can deliver us from addictions. He can deliver us from entrapments. He can deliver us from problems. Shows us these miracles, show us he gives second chances. Come on, somebody. I can raise both hands, both feet, and everything up. Thank God for second chances. Amen. These miracles show us the compassion of Jesus. Because it's his mercy that we don't get what we deserve. It's his compassion for us that moves him to be active and engaged in the life of his, of his people. These miracles show us these things. It shows us his protection in our life. In the middle of a storm, he told the wind and the wave to just shut up. We're talking about Jesus. These miracles show us that he cares about our condition and he can do something about it. These miracles also show us this. They show us a picture of what heaven is like. A place that is real. A place that where no illness, no issue, no problem. Nothing horrible happens in heaven. Those miracles that Jesus did that were recorded, and he actually did more than what was recorded, and shows us, this is what heaven will be like. 
where there will be no tears, where there will be no pain, where there will be no sorrow, where there will be no grief, where there will be no hurt, where there will be no limps, where there will be no diagnosis, where there will be no issues. Come on, somebody. And that's, where he- that's, that's what exists in heaven, perfection. It's a reminder that those in Christ will have that in their life. Number three. You guys with me? Number three, Jesus died on the cross, atoned for our sins by his shed blood, and he rose from the grave on the third day. Now, all the Gospels show and testify to the fact that Jesus died on the cross and conquered sin and conquered death. They showcase him coming back from the grave on the third day. Paul the Apostle also writes... Look at what what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He writes, he said, "I, I pass on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve and After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, and most of whom are still alive at the time of the writing, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Peter testifies of this. Uh, The apostle John testifies of this in their writings that no doubt Jesus conquered sin and death. Look at what Paul goes on to say at the end of this Uh, chapter in chapter 15 verse 56 he says for sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ so in Jesus We have forgiveness of sin, and we have freedom from sin. The hope for humanity is that sin would no longer have power to grip us with its control. That we are no longer slaves to sin, but now unto righteousness. And sin is no longer our master to make us feel ashamed or condemned. Paul writes earlier in Romans 8 verse 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there is such thing as godly sorrow, feeling sorrowful in a godly way for something wrong we have done or something wrong we have said, etc., etc. But condemnation and guilt and shame are not of the Lord. And in Jesus, he brings a forgiveness from our sin, and he brings a forgiveness as well. A forgiveness and a freedom into our life from sin. Look at what he writes in um, Romans chapter 6, verse 22. He says this, he says, But now you are free from the power of sin, and you have become slaves of God. Now do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only in Jesus do we have forgiveness and freedom of sin, but in Jesus we also have eternal 
life. That death is no longer in the equation for those who are believers in Jesus. Yes, our earthly bodies will pass. But we do not have to be afraid to die or wonder what will happen to us when we die. Because in Christ, we have the benefit of eternal life in heaven. And Paul writes these things, as I said, Peter writes to these, John writes to these, that, and testifies to the fact that Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood for the atonement of our sins, but then he was also raised from the dead on the third day. But then what happens? Number four. Jesus ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. After his death, his burial, and his resurrection, spending about 40 days on earth with his disciples, reassuring them of some things to come, telling them to go wait in Jerusalem for the, poor, for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit that Acts talks about. It says he ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand, of God the Father. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 16 writes about that. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 24 records specifically about that. But then look at what Paul writes to his younger son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. He writes, For there is only one God and one mediator who can, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone, and this is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Jesus ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. Paul writes and says, Jesus is our mediator. He's our mediator. That word means one who intervenes between two parties, one who uh, intervenes to either uh, in order to bring about and make uh, peace or friendship between the two or to form a compact or to ratify a covenant between the two. So Jesus paid the price. The Bible said, Paul writes, he purchased our sin, purchased our freedom from our sin and then he became, uh, in that he became our mediator, meaning he bridges the gap between us and God the Father. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except they come through me. So there, there really, there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Humbling ourselves, surrendering ourselves, placing our faith and our trust in Jesus as the payment for our sin, as the one who ransomed for us, paid the price for us, he bridges the gap between us and God. The only way we can have a relationship with God and, and have the promise of abundant life is in and through Jesus. It's not through our works. It's not through any other thing. It's not through any other religion. It is only through Jesus and in Jesus that we can have a relationship with God and have the promise and the gift of eternal life. So he is our mediator. But then Paul writes this, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Romans 8. Verse 31, 
Paul writes, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for his all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. And then who will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, and who was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Other translations there will say interceding for us. So Jesus is our mediator, but Jesus is also our intercessor. That means to go to someone of higher authority on behalf of someone else. To go to someone of higher authority on behalf of someone else. I've seen this illustration a couple of times, and I never will forget this illustration. I'm just going to kind of talk you through this illustration. And when, what, what, what does God see when he looks at us, those who are believers, those who, who, are, who are in Christ, who Jesus has saved, that we have become born again? When God looks at us, what does he see? When God looks at us, does he, he looks, does he see, what can, as Paul writes, what can condemn us? Paul says, no one. What can accuse us? Paul says, no one. Why can no one condemn us? Why can nothing accuse us? Because when God looks at us who are in Christ, what he sees is Jesus. Jesus being the intercessor, the one being the mediator and then also being the intercessor, the one who pleads to God on behalf of us, the one who has a higher authority on behalf of us. And so when God looks at us, when he looks at you and he sees, does anything condemn them? Does anything accuse them? Jesus is standing there. Jesus is standing there. And he says, Father, nothing condemns them. Nothing accuses them because they have placed their faith in me. Therefore, I cover them. You know the scripture, love covers a multitude of of sins. It's not about, hey, pretend it didn't happen. It's that, hey, I cover it. I I paid the price. I bought them with my blood. So, Father, when you look at them, what he sees is Jesus. He sees the Son of God, the, 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 the second person of the Trinity, interceding on our behalf, looking and standing between us and God the Father. So, therefore, those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you walk around for three weeks feeling condemned about something you did last month, you need to get your faith in the right direction and your theology healthy and see that you don't have to live condemned. True, people are good enough at condemning us ourselves, and we are good at condemning our own self. But what we need to understand, that is not the gift that God offers us in Christ Jesus Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us. So when God looks at us, does something condemn them? Does something accuse them? Does something fall on them? No. He sees Jesus who paid the price, purchased us, atoned for our sin, carried it away. That we don't live condemned. We don't live ashamed. We don't live with regret. 
that you don't have to go around carrying your sorrow around in order to make yourself feel better and your conscience clean. Jesus does that for you. Sure, you have genuine sorrow, which is godly sorrow. You have genuine repentance of something. Absolutely meaning I'm not going to keep going in this direction. I repent and I'm going to go in the direction that the Lord wants me to go. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus the intercessor covering you. Standing up for you. He's the one. Aren't you glad? Because here's the real deal. You and I are not good enough to present our case to him. John writes, 1 John writes that we have an advocate on our behalf, that when we do sin, we have an advocate who is there with us on our behalf, who is Jesus himself, who paid the price and took on our sin for us. The relationship you and I have with God is not based on performance. It's based on faith. It's not based on performance. It's based on faith. So any earthly relationship you and I might have with people that might be based on performance, we can't compare that to the relationship we have with God. It's not based on performance. It's based on believing. It's based on faith that Jesus is our intercessor. Number five, you guys want the last point? Jesus will return again in power and glory. He will return again. So in, in our day and time today, in these things that were written in the New Testament, different times written, hey, we're living in the last days. We're living in dark times. We're living in disappointing days. These were written then. They, they, and think about it then. They apply to us today. And we can probably say some of the same things. We're living in the last days. We're living in disappointing times. We're, we're living in some dark and gloomy moments right now. Has Jesus forgotten that he said he would return? Or, hey, is he ever going to come back? Will he ever make his way back? Jesus talked about this at length in Matthew 24. Matthew records it. But then Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5, or excuse me, 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll talk a little more in detail about the second coming of Jesus in a few weeks. But for today, I want to just say this. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living... When the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Good news. Then together with them, who we who are still alive and remain on the earth, we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is going to happen. If you believe the Bible, which we established last week, this is going to happen. 
It says, then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words, and so I will try. He will come with a commanding shout. He will come with a commanding shout. On the cross, he shouted, it is finished. And those around him there could hear him. But this one, everyone will hear. He will come with the voice of an archangel, the chief one, the supreme voice. There will not be any shadow of a doubt whose voice it will be. And it will come with the trumpet call of God so that everyone will hear this event will, there will be no mistaking that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life, the one who performed miracles, the one who died on the cross, shed his blood for the sins of the world, buried in a borrowed tomb, but raised again to life on the third day, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, right now pleading, interceding, mediating for us. He will come back. No one knows the day or the hour in which it will happen. But he will return and there will be no mistaking that Jesus has broke through the eastern sky. With a commanding shout, I'm back. With the voice of an archangel, arise. And with the trumpet call of God, come join me. It will be that kind of an event that the news outlets will not be fast enough to even produce it. And even if they could, it wouldn't matter. Because Jesus does not need a news station to advertise his coming. He does not need the help of social media to give us a heads up. Hey, I'm on my way. He's just simply going to break through with a commanding shout, with a loud, thunderous voice, with the trumpet call. And friends, those who are in Christ will recognize the voice. Those who are in Christ will recognize the tune of that trumpet. And there will be no mistaking that Jesus has come back to take his bride home. And if we're not here, the hope and promise is we will rise from our grave. We will join those who are remaining, and we will all together join the Lord in the air. Now, I don't know how to explain it other than the way it's written. But I got a, I got a, a song that I'm not going to sing. These are just those times where I wish I could sing for the effect. But it's called Glorious Day. An old song. If you really want to get a good feeling off of it, Google Donnie McClurkin. If you don't know who Donnie McClurkin is, do yourself a favor and Google Donnie McClurkin. And those of you who know who I'm talking about, you know he can sing. 
Just Google Donnie McClurkin with this song. It'll take you back. But the lyrics say this. One day, when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Word became flesh and the light shined among us, among us his glory revealed. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. Hands that healed nations stretched out on a tree. And he took the nails just for me. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day, he's coming. Oh, glorious day. One day, the grave could conceal him no longer. One day, the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended. My Lord forevermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. Come on, live and he loved me. Die and he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. And one day, look at your neighbor. One day, tell your neighbor, one day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one bringing. My Jesus, my Savior, is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified Freely forever. And one day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. That's going to happen. We're talking about Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, we have such a great cloud of witnesses around us, so let us strip off every weight and every sin that holds us and entangles us, and let us run the race that we have set before us with endurance And the way we do that, we look to Jesus. Friend, life is hard and heavy enough, much less to try to do it all on our own. Do you believe in the Jesus that I talk about? Do you believe in the Jesus of these scriptures? Do you believe in the Jesus of this word that he performs miracles? That he cares. Do you believe in this Jesus who died for you? Who paid the price for you? Do you believe in this Jesus 
who said, right now I must go away and prepare a place for you, but I will come back for you. And when I do, you will know that I have come. You will know that I have arrived. But while you're here, my Father's going to come, and He's going to give you the promise, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you alone. You will not be left alone. But put your faith in me and turn your eyes and look to me. Come on, if you're able to stand, stand and I want to pray for you. Whether we've been saved for 45, 50 years or whether we've been saved for four and a half months, I think we could all probably get honest with ourselves and say, I just need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Hey, it's no secret the world needs Jesus, but come on, his church needs Jesus to be amplified and glorified in their life. Amen? Come on, if you need Jesus, I'm not, I, I'm not, uh, just, just lift your hands. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we call on you today. And we look to you today. These scriptures give testimony to you. The gospels give witness to you that you weren't just some story. I thank God that you're not just some fad that fizzes away. We are thankful that you don't change, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, wherever we have known you in just a religious sense, I pray you change it today and help us to know you in a relational sense. Lord, where we might be, from, we might have been scarred from things in life. We might be hurting in our hearts today. We might be heavy with burdens today. We look to you, Jesus. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. You finished your race. You call us to do the same. And we don't do it on our own. We choose today to look to you. We look to you in spite of earthly ailments and earthly problems and earthly issues. We look to you today, Jesus. Lift us. Love us. Hold us and keep us and guide us throughout our day this week. We honor you and we thank you. In your name, the name above all names, Jesus. Amen and amen.